0: As you see in your bulletin, um, our text is in Luke chapter 22, and verses 24 to 30, Luke 22, verses 24 to 30, and the title of the message is, I am second, I am second. Now, I have to just tell you that, I don't have to tell you, I want to tell you, that Um, ever since this scripture came across um, a couple weeks ago, it was actually after um, Easter, right after Easter and it's just been ripping me apart. (laughs) That's all I'll say. And it's it's one of those things where you just wrestle with and you fight and you're just you're still not over it. You know what I mean? I don't know if I ever will, but God's grace we will and He'll help us. And each one of us. And so I just want to hopefully with the help of the Spirit just transmit to you what I see here and what the Holy Spirit's I think speaking to us and reminding us of and challenging us with so that we could become more like Jesus amen I, that's what I want I don't know about you um, I, I, I don't want to be like Jeff Bartlett I mean no offense I, I don't want to be like Wes Rainey I, I want to be like Jesus I, I really do and, you know so and I definitely don't want to be like Ross Chacon no I'm kidding um I want to be like Jesus. I know you do too. And so that's our desire. Amen. Let me, let me as, you, as you've gone to the scripture there, just hang out, hang out there for a minute. And I want to kind of lay the scene out for you. It's really important so you understand what's going on because this is everything. And I'm going to spend a little time on it because this is the foundation for it all, man, for you to get it. So you have to understand and you have to remember this morning as even as we're singing these songs and we're declaring how great God is and the God who, who, forgave us because His Son was forsaken on the cross, who humbled Himself so much, we have throughout Scripture, remember this, an account of the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, was very humble. A humble man. He was a suffering servant, Isaiah tells us. But he never thought of himself as being higher than God the Father or anyone else, for that matter. Even though he was the ultimate authority, there was no other authority except for Jesus. And he walked this earth. And he has the power to destroy that phone. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Scripture records. Listen, this is really important. If you look in the Old Testament and into the New and you take it all together, Scripture records prophetically and historically that Jesus was a humble man. There's no way around it. The humble life of Jesus is documented from, in these pages from beginning to end. And the Gospels tell us specifically that Jesus demonstrated greatness through humility. Being humble. You know, it doesn't It doesn't mean, as I mentioned earlier, that he's not the ultimate authority. But it demonstrates over and over that through humility, he was great and God exalted him. Amen? And our text is is exactly such a scene and it leads us to that. And and, and let me get a little more groundwork here before we read our text. You know, what's happening here in, in verse 24 of Luke's Gospel 22 is that just four days prior to this, Jesus... As we just celebrated Easter, what a great time of the year, right? With with Palm Sunday and the Resurrection Sunday and Jesus dying for our sins on Good Friday and rising again. And what a great thing. And of course, for us, every day is Easter. Amen? Praise God. He's alive and He lives in us. Now, the thing is, He walks in four days before this into Jerusalem after three and a half years of ministry. And as we heard a few weeks ago, He didn't ride in on a stallion with an army all around Him. He came in alone? Well, I mean alone relatively speaking on a donkey pretty humble really humble actually by comparison to the arrogance and the pride and everything else and and that was going on with people around him and the government and the religious leaders and so on and so forth there was not a stallion or an army with him he came in on a donkey humbly you know he invites his disciples a couple days later to the last supper when he's going to have the last Passover with them and then he'll be betrayed. And he knows that. And listen, just a little side note. You may remember that on Palm Sunday, I made mention, and you've probably heard this before too, that Jesus, before he walks into Jerusalem, he asks his disciples to do something. What does he ask them? Go and untie a colt, a donkey. Go and untie. And if somebody asks you what, are you, what are you taking that colt for? What are you taking that donkey for? All you got to tell them is, the Lord needs it. And it's it's exactly what happened. And he goes, they go, and they go to get this so Jesus could ride into Jerusalem. And somebody asks them. they tell him exactly what Jesus said. And it all works out. Now, what happens here too, just a couple days before this, this Passover here, is that Jesus asks his disciples to go and to prepare for the Passover dinner in an upper room. And you know what? His disciples do that. They make the arrangements. They go and he says, if they ask you what you need it for, tell them what it's for. And you're going to have it. make all the arrangements for that. It's, it's a parallel, it's a similar thing. They, 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 they had faith and confidence and trust in Jesus the first time about the donkey. And now they knew that when Jesus says do something, you do it. It's a reminder again. When Jesus asked you to do something, just do it. it it's the right thing to do. And it always has the right outcome that is the best and glorifies God. And then you get the trickle-down benefits of it all the time. Amen. Do what Jesus says. So Jesus, they make arrangements. And now, as they're eating, and in John chapter 13, is a long, it talks a lot about it, but in John 13, they're sitting here, and Jesus, they're, they're having their meal. And Jesus, as he's reclining to him, he gets up, he rises. And you know this as well. And while they're eating, he goes over and takes a towel, puts it on his waist, and he starts washing feet. Now, he comes in on a donkey. Oh, by the way, he was born in Bethlehem. And he, didn't, he wasn't born, you know, in a hospital with a, with a unit that takes care of babies like we have nowadays. Because babies today are treated like kings compared to what Jesus went through. Humble. Re- middle of the night. Who knows? He was born in... Hidden away in a stable, as we say, in the end there, humble, and now he's sitting there and he bends down and he's washing their filthy feet. You know what? It was the job of a lonely, of a lowly household servant to do that, and Jesus does it. Couldn't get me to do something like that. That's way below me to do something like that. You know, we don't say stuff like that, but we think things like that sometimes about certain jobs or things we should do to serve others around us. I'm, I'm too good for that. It's too inconvenient. I don't have the time for that. I don't, we, we have all the lines in different ways. We, we, I'm there, We're the, we, we do that in different ways. But Jesus gets down and does that. And he tells them, I'm gonna die? He says, somebody's gonna betray me? I mean, he washed their feet. And then he says, someone's going to betray me. We're eating here, but someone's going to betray me. I'm going to die. And they're all saying to themselves, is it me? Wait a minute. Oh, man, I hope it's not me. Is it really me? And then Jesus reveals that it's Judas, right? We know the story. He reveals it's Judas. And now everybody else, the 11 are kind of like, man, thank God it's not me. Oh, but wait, it's Judas. Oh, but, but thank God it's not me. I mean, I'm just, let's just be real about the, the circumstance here and what could have been going on in their mind. And, and now it's, oh, it's Judas. It's not me. Great. I'm glad it's not me. And Judas runs out as Jesus says, go and do your thing. Go and do your thing. He runs out after he, after he dips his, the, the the bread into the cup. And he runs out and to, to make arrangements to set up Jesus to be betrayed. And then, then this is what happens right here in verse 24 we're going to read. This is what happens after all that has gone on and Jesus has done everything, his entire ministry, to be as low as possible. And then verse 24 comes up. Verse 24. Let's read it together. This kills me, but I'm going to read it. We have to read it. Verse 24. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded as the greatest. What? I mean, what? He just washed their feet. He just said he's going to die for them. One of them would trade them, and he was right, and he runs out. And they turn around the next verse, if you read Luke's account, and they're fighting about who's the greatest, and who should be in the first place, who should have prominence, who should have more authority, who should have a better seat in the kingdom, whatever it is. It blows my mind, and it convicts me at the same time, and I can't even believe that I can read that in Scripture. And there arose a dispute among them. You know what they did? Verse 24, they had a fight about who's number one. Who's number one? Is it me? They just they just had, think about this. They had the question and they said, is it I, Lord? Oh man, please don't let it be. And then all of a sudden, here it creeps up. Here's that pride. Here's that relief because it's not me. Oh, I'm not the betrayer. It's 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 Judas. Oh man, I feel bad for him, but... Okay, at least it's not me. And then right away, I'm better than you. No, you're better than me. No, listen, Andrew looks over to John and says, listen, no, no way, because I was one of the first ones to be called. There's no way. No, and then Peter says, but listen, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration and I was there with all the glory of God. What are you talking about? There's no way I'm better than you. And then Peter says, and on top of that, guess what? I walked on water and you didn't. I'm number one. I'm greater. My experiences are deeper. I've had more experiences. My wisdom is greater. I've been a Christian longer. I've done this. I've done this. My vocation with this and that and the other. And I, I, I'm, I'm wise. I know what to do. Respect me. Give me my place. I'm the greatest. And they're fighting. There's a dispute. Right after all this happened, I'm, I can't get past it almost. Think about that. It's crazy crazy and notice i'm going to share with you three truths in our text about this whole thing the, the first one is is that we have to be on guard for the sin of me first it's called pride but be on guard for the sin of me first you know be on guard all the time for this be on guard everywhere you are for this we're often so slow to learn, aren't we? Jesus taught and modeled humility, and the disciples had not learned. They didn't learn. Instead, let's fight about who's the greatest. No, it's me. No, it's you. No, my ancestry's better. No, my, they were more faithful Jews. No, what? Come on, stop it. You know, this word dispute in the Greek, very simple. This is what it means it means to love contention it means to love to argue and in specifically here about who's the best now we don't do this and even in this context it may not all have been verbal there are passive aggressive gestures and attitudes that speak that very loudly when you're around people oftentimes but it's still about i'm number 1 i want to be the greatest and they're fighting about this and we can fight about this the desire for greatness recognition self-esteem building was nothing new that that was nothing new I mean that that started but after Adam and Eve fell even as they're making that decision I'm number one seeped in, came in they bit it and that's what they did and they tried to usurp God's power That's what they were really doing. That's what was going on there. This happened before. And the Gospels record that this isn't the first time this happened with the disciples either. We'll get there in just a little, in a minute. As I mentioned, Peter, James, and John experienced the glory of Christ at his transfiguration. And they could easily, all three of them say, but look at me. No, we're all equal. But wait, how are we going to split it up? One of us has to be better. The disciples suffered from something Very tragic. They suffered from lambs. Did you ever hear of lambs? L-A-M-S. Did you ever hear of lambs? None of you have ever heard of it? Did you know that you all have it? Did you know that I have lambs? It's a horrible disease. It's a horrible condition. It's called look-at-me syndrome. And you know the thing about lambs, is that it is hereditary. It is spirit. There's a, there's a, there's, a, there's spiritual genetics involved, and every one of us has lambs. Look at me syndrome. Prop myself up. Make myself the center of the thing. Make sure the attention's on me. Make sure I'm doing it all. Make sure I'm in control. Make sure I'm telling people. Make, whatever it is, whatever form it takes. Look at me syndrome. We all have it. James and John's mother. The, the disciples. If you read in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28, this is amazing to me. They're having this conversation, and James and John's mother are there, and she gets the ear of Jesus, and she comes up, Oh, Jesus, how you doing today? What's going on? How's your day? Hey, you know, i got two great sons. I'm so glad they follow you. And then Lambs pops out, and she goes, Hey, Jesus, you know, by the way, you know, if you could just find it in your heart, you know, because my guys are great. Could they each have a seat next on either side of you on the throne in heaven? That's called lambs. That's called lambs. Look at me syndrome. The apple doesn't fall from the tree. So the disciples are doing exactly what their mother taught them. And their mother did what... Her mother taught her and her grandmother did what her father did and all the way to Adam and Eve. Look at me, Sindro. No wonder they disputed and wanted to contend and, and be contentious about who's number one. Be on guard for the sin of me first. Be aware that you struggle and suffer from lambs. You and me, even now. Be on guard. That's the first truth. Secondly, the second truth is this, is that Jesus' standard of greatness is different than ours. It's different than ours. You know, in a nutshell, this is what Jesus' standard for greatness is. I am second. Second to him and everyone, I am second. It's not about you, it's never about you. Yes, God cares about you. Yes, God has a plan for you. Yes, God saved you. But it's not about you. Jesus' cure for lambs is a two-step process. And here's what it is right in our scripture. The first one is, is that you become younger or lesser and be the servant. Start with that and you start to deal and you start to, to mitigate and to suppress that syndrome in your life that comes from the sin of me first. The look at me syndrome. It goes away. Luke chapter 9, verse 46 to 48. I mentioned that this wasn't the first time that Jesus' disciples were added about this. Well, Earlier on in the same gospel of Luke 9, 46, 6 to 48, the same dispute arises about greatness. The same exact one. Read the words. Then there arose a dispute about who was the greatest unbelievable and they're doing it again later on here where we're, we just read they're arguing about this and if Jesus looks at a child in the vicinity and he points out that child to his disciples and he says something and he says be like these children essentially he's saying be like them be, be, be lesser be smaller don't be so big and think you're so significant be like a child and so many people think that you know what when he points out to be like the children that he's talking about be innocent. Well, it's true. There's a certain innocence and whatever. But by the way, the syndrome already makes us guilty. So we're not innocent. It's not about the innocence. It's not, or, or being naive or gullible or, or just hook, line, and sinker, taking everything Jesus. It's not about that. You know what, You know why he points to the children to become lesser? Because children are totally dependent on someone else. They're dependent. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. He wants that dependence. He's pointing that out. He wants that so deeply. Because here's the truth humility is pure dependence on God. The moment you depend on yourself to do what God wants, or you think God wants you to do, or the moment you think that this is how God's plan should be and He says otherwise, you have taken the place, and all of a sudden, look at me syndrome has come up, and you're saying, Look at me, God, I know better than you. In our culture, that's not true. So guess what? You're wrong, God. Self-sufficiency comes in. My ideas. And Jesus says, total dependence, man. That's, what, that's where humility comes. And look, 948, he gives this, 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 the, 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 the cure here, this, this first part of the two-step process. He says, whoever, and you can read it, whoever is least among you will be the greatest. And you know what the cool thing is about that? Well, it's, it's cool, but it's scary. That in the Greek, the, the word for the one who is least among you is mikros, M-I-K-R-O-S. And we get our English word micron from that. How big is a micron? How can you see a micron? Something that's that. What kind of, micros- what kind of microscope? A really powerful one. Am I, wrong? Am I right? You need a really powerful microscope to see something that is measuring these tiny microns, so small. He's saying, if you're going to be anything, you've got to be basically invisible. Oh, God forbid, no. I mean, everyone's got to know about what I do. They've got to know that my cause is good. They've got to know that I'm serving Jesus. They've got to know that I'm going to tell them about Jesus. They've got to know that I, whatever, you fill in the blank. No, you get out of the picture and let Jesus... Be the one who's first. And others, not you, you become microscopic. Become the least. Oh, but that's just so demeaning, Pastor Bob. That's so mean and rude. No, we, don't, we gotta build people up. Don't, don't show me in the Bible where we see any of that. I'd love to have that conversation with you because Jesus says you become microscopic to be great. John 3.30, John the Baptist is preaching... And he's, and he's baptizing people, and he knows that Jesus is coming. He says, "Just somebody coming. I'm not even worthy to unbuckle his sandals. And then Jesus comes, and he baptizes him. And as soon as he baptizes him, Jesus' ministry is going to be initiated. He starts going toward that, that direction. And John says something, because he realizes that the words Jesus is going to speak are way greater than his. They realize that he's God himself. He's the Lamb of God. Take see, the whole thing, right? And you know what he says in verse 30 of chapter 3? He said, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must become so big that the whole world sees him, and I just need to become microscopic. I need to just get out of the picture and give way to him. Mark 10, 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come. Jesus is saying he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians 2, 3 says this. He says, God, I'm sorry, in Philippians 2, 3. I'm, I'm i going to find it. I was in Ephesians, but I'm in Philippians now. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. This is what Jesus says, or Paul says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Those are my my words. Those are the words of Paul, and he's writing that because that's what Jesus modeled. And now Paul wants to do that, and he says, we got to do the same thing. That's how we're Christ-like. Think of others as better than yourself. Jesus served, and he did that. And you know what? what's so clear in Scripture? It's so clear in Scripture, and God is clear in Scripture, that that a positive self-image is not our problem. Not having a positive self-image is not the problem. Our problem is that we think too much of ourselves and less of others, not to mention God. You want to cure lambs? Become lesser and be a servant secondly suffer for jesus now and you'll rule with him later it goes hand in hand when i say suffer i'm not saying look for opportunities to beat yourself over the back or put yourself in a situation so people pound you and ridicule you i'm not saying that i'm just saying that you stand up for jesus you humble yourself you you serve humbly and and you take it whatever comes your way you stand up for the truth and whatever comes you take it you just like jesus did and you stay humble about it but you stay in the truth and you keep going Suffer for Jesus now to rule later. Verse 28 says, Jesus says, You have continued with me in my trials. Even the disputing disciples, they have remained with Jesus through all the stuff that he has gone through, especially from the religious leaders, all the persecution he got. See, because suffering leads us to dependence, doesn't it? When we go through a hard time, it leads us to dependence upon God. And, and then we need help and we need aid. I'm so glad nobody here suffers. And that we need help and we cry out to God and he aids us. The Christian life is not convenience and consumerism. It is dying and suffering. That does not sound good today, but that's the truth and it's the Bible and that's the gospel and it's Jesus' words. Amen. All we worry about is convenience and consuming. What about dying and suffering so we can depend on Jesus? Romans chapter 8, verse 17, 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If, if indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's not, it's, this is the truth. It's not, it's not me. I'm not making this up. I don't want to even like, almost accept this in my, in my naturalness. There's going to be suffering and then there's glory for it. Jesus said it and Paul said it. Suffer for Jesus now and you'll ruin him for later. No, but instead we go back to lambs and we don't do the second part by suffering, and we take all the suffering away by letting look-at-me syndrome rise up, and then we do everything we can to make everything convenient, easy, pleasant, where there's no ridicule, no criticism, nothing, and we just, the path of least resistance. Lambs doesn't get cured that way. Thirdly, the final truth I want to share, and it's brief, is that Jesus promises that humble servants will be great. I don't even have anything to add to that because that's what Jesus says. If you look at verses 29 to 30, he says there that he will grant them a kingdom which will be in the future because they have stayed with him and they're his. He will give them a a, a seat at his table in the kingdom of God. Revelation 7 and 19 tells us all that. Here's here's their mother wanting them to sit at either side of Jesus. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to, you, you do all this. You stay humble. You, you become little. You serve. And one day you're going to be sitting at the table with me and we're going to rule and reign together. It's coming. Just not right now. Jesus also grants a throne to each of them so they can judge the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm not going to break down what all that means, but it simply means this, that we will, for lack of a better term, share in the authority that Jesus has in governing and ruling the nations and all those well, in the end, who will not be with God? That's a very broad, generic way to state it. But we're going to, I don't know how it's going to look, but that's amazing stuff. So you want to be first and have authority? It's coming one day if we stay there. I'm going to ask Andrew to cue up that video, and I want to read one verse. First Peter 5, 6 says this. Peter says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that in due time, due time, at the right time, at the appointed time, he might exalt you. Who exalts us? He does. He does. And they strive and they live to do exactly this, to make known the message that they are second. It's, 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 you're, you're never first. Let me just put it that way. You're second. God's first. And if you love God, You do what Paul said in Philippians, you think of others as better than yourself, then it's you. You're second, always. Are you? If you're struggling with that syndrome, lambs, there's a cure. Humble yourself before the Lord, start serving, think about others. And the symptoms that come with lambs start to be mitigated and they fade away. Maybe you think you don't have lambs. I simply ask you to wake up and realize that it's in all of us. It's a syndrome we all struggle with. And God wants us to be second. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word this morning. Awaken our hearts, Lord, and open our minds to fully grasp and to understand what you're doing, Lord, and we can only do that with the aid of your Holy Spirit. Lord, please help us to be on guard from the me-first attitude, and Lord, help us to Lord, know the cure for look-at-me syndrome. Thank you that you taught us what humility is and what servanthood is like. Lord, we need your help to be like you. Go with us today, Lord, and as we hold to this truth, Lord, help us to hang on to that promise that, Lord, if we suffer with you and we humble ourselves, God, that you're going to exalt us at the right time. May it all be for your glory and for your honor.